maybe. What is going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the Fit Shit Podcast. I am really, really excited to have our guest today, Celeste Rains Turk. You guys have probably listened to her podcast. She is studying psychology. And one of the biggest issues, especially right now, uh, getting towards the end of the year is, of course, the end of the competition season. So I'm really excited to have her on here and discuss the psychological aspects coming out of competing. So, Celeste, please introduce yourself. Uh, and talk to us a little bit about what you do. Well, I'm so happy to be here first and foremost. So finally, yay, I appreciate you having me. And to give everybody an idea of what I do, I help competitors to make peace with food, their body, and their goals. And this is in any season. At first, it started just post-show because this was a major issue like you just mentioned. But then I realized it was happening in prep too. And there are people who struggle with these things, even in prep. So my business kind of expanded in that way, but I didn't get into helping competitors until after launching Confessions of a Bikini Pro podcast. And that was because I was studying psychology. I wanted to learn about these girls. I realized success leaves clues, all that. But then I realized, oh my gosh, competitors really struggle. And my message of building more than just a body that I was serving the general population with really would be better applied to bodybuilders. So, and being a bodybuilder myself, I was like, I've struggled with this. I've got through it. I can help these girls. So during my bachelor's degree in psychology, I just started really shifting my focus towards these topics that can be applied to athletes. And then I decided after that, huh, I kind of want to learn even better ways to help and support them. So now I'm I'm getting through, I'm almost through with my master's program in clinical mental health counseling. Yay. So it's, yeah, thank you. It's, it's really my passion. I love doing this. I love learning. Everything I do is for my business and for this mission. So I am grateful I get to share. Yeah, I think that's phenomenal. And I love nerdy people. I continue to further my education. Now I'm going down the rabbit hole of endocrinology um, wow. and all of those systems to be able to address like blood work issues that clients have um, and kind of fix those in a natural way. So that's kind of where my education is taking me, but I love um, the psychology behind sport in general. Um, I think it's phenomenal. And one of the things that I want to kind of discuss is obviously there are physiological adaptations when we diet, but there's also psychological adaptations that occur, right? And some of those are natural when in a calorie deficit and and then you push the extreme of the calorie deficit when it comes to competing. So you talked about, you know, initially it was post-show, but then you started seeing symptoms of this or signs of people struggling during contest prep. Um, so I kind of want you to discuss what tools that you have them incorporate during the season and then how you transition into setting them up to be successful in the reverse or recovery phase ending their season. For sure. Well, I realized that they were struggling in prep too, because I started swimming up the river and figuring out why are all the fishes dead when they're at the bottom of the river, if you want to put it like that. And I realized, oh, a lot of these habits are starting in prep and, and we need to get ahead of it before it's too late. And not to say it's ever too late, but it's going to be harder the longer you wait. Um, and you know this from a physiological standpoint and anything. So I was like, okay, what can we do in prep to help girls? So a lot of this came down to one is how they perceive themselves and how they perceive food. A lot of girls go on autopilot mode. So, and men too, I shouldn't even just say girls, men, even male competitors go through this, but we go on autopilot mode. We stop focusing on what is the food doing for us? How is the food serving us? 
Why are we choosing to eat the food? And what is the benefit of it outside of the fact that we're getting to some physique or could have a new low or, or whatever it might be? Yeah, I love your eye roll. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's a fixation. So to help people through the fixation, whether that's on the scale or on the food, is to change the way we think. So if we're being mindless, then we need to be mindful. So it depends on what program they're doing. But let's say they're working with me in the food program. We're going through a specific process where they're answering a series of questions before each meal, which is a bit of extreme. But if you're already tracking your macros every meal or you're already going to the gym every day, you should should isn't the right word, but you could absolutely add this into your routine. So answering questions about the meal that they're having. So there's mindfulness there that helps them to then pause and interrupt the pattern of turning to food and and snacking or eating off plan when they don't want to be. And then it helps us to change how we think about the food. So post-show, and we do this same process post-show as well, but it changes the way that we look at it. So now we're seeing food as a benefit to our sport, a benefit to our performance, a benefit to the way that we live or our lifestyle, rather than just a one-stop shop to get us to a physique goal or get us through this prep. And that's, that's the gist of it. I think that's really, really important. And so one thing that I feel is very important as a coach is the pre-prep period that I put my clients through. And that's because I want to make sure that they have the fundamental habits in place to be successful during a contest prep and understanding, you know, that this nutrition is what's going to carry us through being able to understand portion sizes and what they look like and what you should be feeling your body with and being in cue with hunger and satiety signaling, because it's only going to get amplified when you're in prep and you start to lose those logical, that logical brain, um, because you're so hyper-focused on the end goal. And the more you adapt down, the leaner that you get, the more that goal feels bigger and bigger and bigger, and you're willing to compromise different things to achieve that end goal. So we never want to lose sight of the perspective that we have going into it. And we all get prep goggles and tunnel vision because we want to win and we want to be successful. Uh, But I think that continuing to keep the perspective of it's not just these three numbers that we need to hit every day. It's what are we feeling our bodies with? How does that feel for you? What is your performance and energy in response to that? And then coming out of the show, you understand that we're increasing food, but we should also continue to keep positive habits. And I think one of the biggest things that I see issues with is habit formation and breaking. When you throw somebody into a meal plan or a contest prep diet, um, they're just executing the plan, not really taking the educational portion of it, of what are these foods, what's in them? Why do I feel good doing this? Or why are we using this as a fuel source? Then they come out. And if they don't have an educational background on nutrition, or they didn't take the time to prime themselves for that journey, they come out and they're like, yes, because adaptations we, we, you can, and you can talk about kind of the dopamine spikes with highly palatable foods, but, um, because you're craving those things because you feel your body's been deprived of them. Um, that's where people I see go really far off the rails, um, post-show because they didn't take the educational point or have that conversation with their coach as to what they need to do to approach the reverse or recovery phase successfully. Absolutely. I love that you do that with your clients, like preparing them for prep, getting them in that mindset, getting them in the habit and getting them in a place physically that they can sustain that and understand that this is not necessarily going to be easy, but you can make it easier by preparing yourself for it and getting into the right habit. And 
when it comes to habit development and habit formation, as well as, you know, those highly palatable foods, I mean, we can go all these different directions, but I guess we'll start with habits. What you do in prep can easily be translated to post-show and then into an improvement season. There really doesn't need to be much of a difference. And I think people get caught up in this is how it needs to be in prep. And this is my improvement season. And there's not that, where's the transportation between both? So what I like people to do is identify, and I actually have, I literally have mine right here next to me because I I need it like on display, but what works for you? What are your commitments? What are your standards regardless of your season? What do you plan to uphold for yourself? And this is something that you can sustain any time of the year. So we're not making it physique dependent or food dependent. Instead, it's just you dependent. Um, I think that helps with habits because it it gives us a benefit that's not season dependent. Therefore, it's easier to sustain rather than having to change it just because the season changed. Um, So for example, if you wake up early to do your cardio and prep, well, you could keep waking up early to do maybe less cardio in improvement season and then add in something new, like maybe a yoga wheel or maybe posing or maybe journaling. Like we can still keep the habit of waking up early if that's something you're committed to. Just for an example. Um, Another thing is there have been various reports that athletes need different type of attention than like general population when it comes to physique and body image and food relationship. And what they found is athletes need to keep in mind how the things that they're doing actually impact their sport and their performance and and how they're going to show up. So at the end of the day, we also have to remember we are athletes, no matter what season it is. It doesn't stop after 16 weeks, 20 weeks, 24 weeks. You're still an athlete. And that goes for how you look as well. You are still an athlete. And if we can keep the identities that serve us best in the habits that we seek to have. So if you're trying to be someone who drinks all their water or who tracks their macros consistently or who makes sure they go to the gym when their coach tells them to and and does what they need to do and your identity is a slob, you're probably not going to do any of those things because you identify yourself as a slob. But if you see yourself as an athlete, you see yourself as a top level competitor, you see yourself as someone who's committed to their goals, you'll be more likely to execute on those things because you're already priming yourself to be the person who does. I really find that super powerful. And I love the way that you phrased it. These are things that I say, but I don't say them so elegantly. Uh, But uh, to me, it's just like, it doesn't matter whether you're in contest prep. If you're a bodybuilder, you're a bodybuilder, you're an athlete and year round, you need to be feeling your body to recover from that aggressive phase phase, because again, it's more aggressive than just a fat loss phase. I mean, we're getting to very unsustainable levels of body fat. So you need to take your recovery period seriously as someone who wants to continue to progress and achieve high level athletics, um, because it is not easy and it does require discipline, mental fortitude and execution and commitment all year round. And what I see the biggest struggle being is that people come into the sport for the wrong reason. Um, And those are usually the people that have the burnout, the post-show issues, um, and then they want to play the blame game um, with the sport when there's plenty of information out there at this point. um, And you should be having that conversation with your coach um, about whether you're even ready to take that endeavor. And I think that's where the screening the screening part is really, really important because it's not just, I want to get shredded. Okay, sure. We'll put you on this and we'll get you shredded. But it's, if you're, if you're not 
taking the time to understand the process and set yourself up to be successful in that process by getting into the habit of getting up early or going for your walks or hitting your steps or getting to the gym at you know, how you say you will, or challenging yourself to progressively overload and challenge that adaptation that we as bodybuilders seek, right? There's so many different variables that have nothing to do with the dieting phase, but should be carried out no matter what, 365 days a year. And when you fall off because you only execute them during the prep phase, then you've missed the entire aspect of what it means to be an athlete in this sport. Yeah, exactly. That is uh, such a good point. And I, I kind of think about people who are masters at something. If you ask them, how did you become master at this? They probably won't know exactly. Like if you ask someone who's an incredible singer or an incredible um, checkers player or, or whatever it might be, they're great at darts. You, they might not say, oh yeah, I throw it exactly this way. And that's why I'm so good. They just do it every day. They just practice every day. They show up every day and they get better and better. So they're good. And the same thing really kind of applies in bodybuilding. And, and I hear this too, and I'm sure you do, but like people get into this sport and previously they were athletes in another sport. They never had issues with, let's say a post-show kind of thing where they're just suddenly binging or they're not wanting to eat or they're obsessing over all these foods that they didn't care about before bodybuilding is different because there's diet focus you know there's changes to our diet where we are more meticulous it comes with the territory and accepting that and knowing that before getting into this sport is so important so like you said having a screening phase is an amazing responsible thing that you do as a coach because people see it for that end result, right? The shred, the crown, the trophy, <laughs> the pretty tan and bikini. Why? Most people, once they get into the sport, they love that, but they also are like, this is not why I do it. It's not for that day because that day is just, it, well, I look at it as like just another Saturday, right? Like if we're doing this the right way, it's just another Saturday or Sunday or whatever, but you know what I'm saying? It's a show day. It's not the culmination of everything and the determination of all your hard work and efforts. It's, it's not every day you show up for yourself. That's the determining factor of how you'll end up being and also how you feel every day. And I think that's amazing that you said that because one of the biggest conversations that I have with clients is I have a three strike rule, right? Three hiccups. And it's just, it's not worth it. Right. Hmm. Um, especially in contest prep, right? If you fumble once or twice, I understand, but the third time and we've had the conversations, right. And, and I do that for a reason because as someone who is highly competitive in everything that I do, I never feel great about a performance, regardless of whether I win or lose, if I have a regret along the way, if I did not give it everything that I had every step of that journey and hit the, hit the boxes, it doesn't feel good whether you win or lose, because it's like, you, I didn't give it my all. And, and I never, ever want to look back with regret. And so I think it's also important to make sure with the screening phase and the habits and the things that we do as bodybuilders, whether it's tracking everything or hitting your protocols, right? You can't, slack off. And I think that's why it ties over to how I am in my improvement seasons, because now even I'm not doing as much cardio, I have more food. This is the time for me to improve. And so show day for me 
isn't like a, oh, this is awesome. This is the end. It's more like, I can't wait to see what package I brought, but I also can't wait to get the feedback because I know I need to improve, right? There's something else I can be doing. And when you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint of how much your body can, in your mind, really continue to evolve and grow and mature and adapt um, and change, because even every prep with the same person is going to look different. Um, that's the exciting part. It's not the outcome. It's not the validation. It's not how stinky you are on show day, by the way, which is awful. Like it's not cute. <laughs> and wrapping your toilet with towels. and <laughs> Yeah, it's really gross actually. It looks glamorous, but it's quite disgusting. Um, you know, it's, it's the ability to become something that you never thought you could be. Like when I look back on my journey where I started to where I am now, no trophy can give me that validation. No placing can give me that. Um, I put in the work every single day and gave my best, right? And every time you evolve and level up, it's going to look different. What your best is where you started at versus where you are now. And if you continue to push those limits and hold yourself accountable in every aspect of the sport, whether you're dieting or not, um, that's where you see true progress. That's where you're in it for the long term, and you can have the longevity that's also required to continue to compete in bodybuilding. Yes, exactly. And I love your three strike rule and, and the idea of regret and stepping on stage and feeling regretful. And I was just having a conversation with a client yesterday who was telling me how shitty she felt with her prep. Oh, I hope I can cuss on here. You can cuss. It's called the Fit Shit Podcast. So I'm like, okay. I was like, I've listened to it. And also it is in the title, but just making sure. Um, anyway, so I was like, okay, you're feeling like crap. You are questioning this prep journey at this point. You've been prepping for over a year. I'm not their coach, right? Like it is not my job to tell this person what to do, nor is it their coach's job in my opinion. Uh, but that's, you know, that's a whole other thing. But this person was telling me how bad they felt and how they were worried that if they pulled out, they'd feel like a failure, right? Like they don't have the grind. They don't have the ability to do it. And I said, you're going to feel regret potentially either way, because if you step on stage and you know that you felt so bad and you didn't show up for your family and you were tired by 12 PM and you weren't able to do the things that you wanted to do, are you going to really be happy about that process at the end of the day when you make it on stage, when you were not enjoying it? And then if you do decide to do it, right, if you decide to follow through on a prep, even when it's challenging and hard and you've had your setbacks, you have to then be willing to accept any result and just be proud that you made a decision, you know? So it's like we get hard on ourselves when we don't really need to be. We put this pressure on ourselves when it's not even appropriate. And I, I think it's really awesome that you, that spiel you did was so beautiful because you showed how much you're proud of yourself internally rather than basing it off of a show day. And this client ultimately ended up doing that. She's like, I don't need to. She talked to her coach and, and they decided to reverse editing and she felt proud regardless. And we're like, do a photo shoot, you know, do something else. You don't need to go through that if you don't want to. Yeah. And I think that is such an important thing to acknowledge is that you feel like a failure to who? Yeah. To who are you failing? Are you failing? Like who, who's putting pressure on you? Are you failing Instagram? Are you failing th the fact that you've put it on your stories and you've talked about the fact that you're in a prep? I always tell my clients, there's a time and a place for everything. There is a time and a place for a contest prep. If you uh, don't have enough bandwidth to show up for what it takes to get there and give a hundred percent, like you're never going to feel good knowing you went through a prep at 80. 
right? If you had a hundred and you went through it at 80, you're going to look back and be like, well, I wasn't lean enough, but I also didn't do all my cardio. And I was a little over on my macros because I got lazy here. Like that's just unacceptable. Right. And, and that's respecting yourself, but respecting the sport and doing it the right way, because it is, like I said, there's so much discipline required around it that if you're only giving 80%, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to even sign up to invest in it because financially it's investable. It's going to be an investment. Your time is going to be an investment. Your energy is going to be an investment. And there are things that are going to suffer because you've chosen to embark on this journey. So driving yourself fucking nuts because you're not executing because you know you can't and doing it for the fear of being looked at like a failure to people that actually don't give a shit about you is taking away from the progress you could be making by just prolonging your debut or your next stage day and going into an improvement phase. Yes, exactly. You said it. Uh, So one of the things uh, I do want you to talk about uh, is how you handle, we talked about dopamine spikes and highly palatable foods. And you see this all the time with competitors. And I don't know, this has to just be a bodybuilding thing where they have all these cookies and cakes and different companies. And you see people buy them all and stick them in their freezer. And I have, you know, conversations with my clients about how we actually want to approach these things. Um, but I'm curious before I say what I think and what, what my approach is with them, um, how you have these types of conversations, whether it's, you know, people that you work with are now shoving the peanut butter down their throat every night or whatever it is, um, how you address those things. Well, based on what I've seen you post and, and share and say, I think we're probably highly aligned in our approach to this. Um, I am much more a fan of using exposure rather than, and normalizing foods rather than saying, let's get rid of all of it, get it out of the house. I'm also not a fan though of then inviting it all into the house when we're in a position to not be able to handle that type of environment. It it gets me when we think or we suspect, and obviously in contest prep, you are using that discipline. So you're developing that, oh, wow, I can do this. I can avoid foods. I can say no to my cravings. And so you're confident. And then post-show you have it and, and you never address, let's say this, this type of behavior before, because you've just been eating your same six meals and you've been on autopilot, whatever, you haven't worked any of this in your macros. Then post-show comes, you start eating it and you have it all in your fridge and all in your freezer and all in your cabinet. Why do you expect that you're suddenly going to be able to just avoid that? You know, why do we put, why do we just expect that? So I say, bring it in your house, but at a level which is actually attainable to start with, right? Like build our confidence around these trigger foods or whatever you want to call them. If you struggle with cookies and you're always eating the whole sleeve of Oreos rather than just one or two, maybe we start with buying the single pack at the gas station and having that each day. Yes, you have to go out of your way to get it. But as we expose you to this food and as you normalize it in your life, you start to realize it's not a big deal. And I had to do this personally for myself with my relationship with food. I was very like clean eating, you know, is everything and like none of this, but then I'll binge on Saturdays and Sundays because that's when I get my free meal or, or whatever, you know, that, that was my mentality. And, and I remember being like, well, what if I, if I'm having, let's say all this chocolate on a Saturday, what if I just spread it out over the week? And I'd rather have, let's say one or two now than 20 or 30 later. And this is the same perspective I bring to competitors in their improvement season. Would you rather have one every day 
out of choice and in a peaceful mentality in an environment of your choosing where you can really sit down and enjoy this item or 30 because you binged because you told yourself you couldn't have it. So I'm much more exposure based. I don't believe in getting rid of the food. I'm, I think abstinence can work for some, but I don't think it should be the first step ever, to be honest, when it comes to food. Uh, just I think a lot of that comes from fear of the food itself, not from actually addressing the fear. It's always easier to avoid it and run from it than it is to try to yeah. engage with it. Um, so that's really my approach. And, and when it comes to like the dopamine spikes and everything like that, I mean, we've been deprived of this food potentially, but any food elicits a response from our brain that says this is life sustaining. Usually it's more of the carb foods and, and obviously sugar, processed sugar has been shown to elicit even more of a response. But when you eat, your brain is telling you this is a life-sustaining behavior, good job, keep doing it. That also usually ends up being why, and I'm sure you know more of the physiological things in the gut that happen, but usually that's why then you're not exactly full until like maybe 20 minutes later, because your brain is telling you, good, 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 eat, this is good, you need to do this, this sustains you. So then when you start in introducing these highly palatable foods, it just heightens that experience even more. And it's foods that might have an emotional connection in your life, which is not a big deal. Um, like if cake is representative of birthdays and therefore it's a positive memory type food, doesn't mean you should avoid cake and you shouldn't you'd want it when you're sad. It just means your brain's formed like a, a little bit of a shortcut to get you happiness, which is through food rather than through other means that haven't been reinforced yet. I know I just went on a rant and probably like a million I directions. But I love it. I'll leave it there and let you take it and it will go. <laughs> yeah. So many really important things. So I am definitely someone who challenges my clients whenever they're afraid of something, whether it's weighing in, uh, which again, we give way too much power to a number, which changes every day, depending on multiple different factors um, and food, because I remember my first contest prep ever. And this was before all this education was out. You know, I was on a meal plan. It was very aggressive, very restrictive. Um, and I tried to have one meal post-show and I blew up with edema and ended up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so I was afraid of food for a long time, um, afraid to eat anything that wasn't on my meal plan, like for a very long time. Um, and I remember like the only way to get over that was to start working in new foods and just see what happened. Like you can't. And when you realize that there's no negative consequence to doing those things, you, instead of being something that something that causes you fear and anxiety, you have power over that. And one thing I always remind my clients of is post-show, remember everything is amplified and your hunger and satiety signals, signals are way off um, and you're going to crave things. So you have to be careful with the amount of exposure, which is why on top of, I don't want you to remove it, but I also want a tool of accountability. So whether it's telling your spouse or your friend or your partner um, that you are, you know, we're going to have peanut butter and I want to sit down and eat this with you. I want you to be present with me because I know right now that my body is going to tell me, get back in that fucking pantry. You want some more peanut butter, you know? And that's one of the biggest things I see is peanut butter, but cookies, cakes, whatever it might be. Yes, it's always um, the peanut butters with flavors too. It's rarely ever, at least yeah. I've noticed it's never really this plain all natural drift, but anyway, keep going. Cause I yeah, like where you're yeah. going. Yeah. And so it's not just that I, I don't want them to be afraid of it, but I also don't want to set them up to be, to feel like they're failing because they don't have that self-control yet. They don't have that signaling back regulated yet. So I want you to be able to work it in. 
but I want you to be responsible with how we do that. Right. So with clients, it might be that it might be that their bandwidth was torn apart with their family and they want to go out on date nights and they want pizza. Okay. Let's limit it to two slices. Right. And we have these guidelines where you can still enjoy what it is you want to enjoy, but we're being responsible with working these things in. And on top of that, when it comes to competitors will order these cookies and cakes. And from these companies, I tell my clients, if you order it, you're going to leave it at the venue. I want you to share it with the people that are there because that's what we do as competitors, but bringing 17 cookies home and sticking them in your freezer for a night when you're alone and hungry and still tired because we're still recovering is not going to set you up to be successful. Whereas if we can enjoy them and share them, you know, and, and be present with other people when we're doing that, And then get back on track with quality nutrition, because again, post-show your body is still very sensitive. We need high quality nutrition. We need to continue to fill your body with micronutrients as we continue to come out of the reverse. We don't want to lose those habits, which is why it's really important to gain the education around the nutrition that you're having during a prep. So you come out and you sustain these habits that lead to the longevity of you being able to participate in the sport, but also keep you happy in your improvement season. Um, Because a lot of people just post-show, they lose of the fact that everything, first of all, with your body composition is dynamic. It changes all the time. It is temporary. And I always remind my clients that the food in your pantry is not going anywhere. It is not going to get up and walk out of that fucking pantry. It will be there tomorrow for another serving or another portion or whatever it is you want, right? Unless you have kids, they might eat the Twinkies, but you know what I'm saying? Um, It's not going to run away from you. And so you don't need to have it all right now. And I think when you logically can remind people of that, because again, your brain is, is thinking in, in more of an animal brain, um, you have to remind them logically that with where we're at in society today, food is readily available. It's not going to go anywhere. There is nothing that's good or bad. It's not the food's fault um, that you chose to overindulge. And now we're up 15 pounds. You know, that's, that's, that's a control issue. And we got to figure out, you know, what is causing that and how to get control of that. So when you have clients that come to you that have kind of gone through the post-show binging phase, um, how do you address those concerns working with them? And how do you get them to kind of regulate that? Yeah, that's a good question. And also I want to go back to your point about the cookies thing. Like we order those things when we're in food fixation, you know, not like post-show after a week of reverse dieting and feeling good. You're just like when we're feeling really like fixated on the food. So, you know, if you are noticing yourself wanting to order all these things, just give yourself time and know that you can order it after. Like Kate said, the food's always there. Um, But when it comes to people who have binge post-show, you're not a lost cause ever. Even if you're up 20 pounds, I really don't care how much you weigh. Like I don't, I don't care what you're eating. I don't care how much you weigh. I don't care what your coach told you about your weight or any of that. I really don't because that's not the problem. The problem is that you're overeating all this food and you're feeling like crap and then you're doing it every single day. So my focus is on why is that happening? What is going on that's causing this? And hopefully your coach is addressing things at a physiological level. And sometimes I have the pleasure of learning how coaches work because they'll refer girls to me and I get a good idea of how they work in their system, but I'll never share things that the client tells me with the coach because it's confidential. It's no one needs to know. And unless they tell me, Hey, can you talk to my coach about this? And then it's like, well, yeah, I can, if you're asking me to, but when it comes to the binging one, you're never lost cause two, let's not try to be perfect. Okay. So this is something that I really need to reinforce. If we try to be perfect, we end up failing. We're setting this standard, this expectation. I should be like, I was on prep. 
I should be doing this. I should be better and not eating this. So therefore I'm going to go back to my ways. I'm sorry, but that track obviously failed. It didn't work for you. You shouldn't get back on that track. We need to build a new one. Maybe the new track is just, hey, let's just try to eat at least three of the meals on your plan. Let's try to identify the benefit of every food that you're putting in your mouth and forget the plan for a moment. You know, just why are we eating what we're eating? So it's not so much about having people get into a control mindset. It's more about getting into congruency. Congruency meaning who are you, where do you want to go, and are your actions representative of that? Control is what we perceive we need. I need to control the willpower again. I had that on rep. I don't know what happened. No, in prep, you were just doing what had to be done to get where you wanted to go. That was congruent. So now what are you going to do to get where you want to go? So it's it's not just about addressing why we're eating what we're eating in the food stuff. It also comes down to like, what's their relationship with food in the first place? Why did they prep? What do they want to get out of this improvement season? <clears throat> what do they believe they need to do? And if someone has gained, let's say 20 pounds and their coach told them only gain five or 10, they already feel like a failure. You know, you're like, please don't, please don't take me there. <laughs> don't let me pop off right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. <sighs> anyway, that's, that's a little, little spiel of how I go about it, but it's identifying more of the relationship they have with the food than the food itself. There are so many really important things that you said in there. Number one is client coach confidentiality. I think that's incredibly important. However, not very well practiced, especially in this sport. And I think that one of the most important things to me is that my clients trust me with everything. Um, And in order for that relationship to work the right way, what they say to me stays between them and I. Um, I wish this was the same across the board because I've worked with coaches uh, that I've asked to keep things confidential in which they do not, right? Because some just people like to gossip um, for whatever reason. So I think that that's very powerful. Now I've had clients that have worked with you um, and I can say, you know, I don't ask about those things, but there comes a point where they're confident in what they're doing and they want me to be a part of that process. So they'll share it. Um, and that's different. But if, if it's an unwilling share of somebody else's, you know, dirty laundry, then, you know, that's just unnecessary and it, and personally unacceptable. But, um, when you said control versus congruency, I think that's powerful, very powerful. Uh, and this is where for me as a coach, this is why I want them to understand nutrition before we get into the amplification of operating around three, three numbers in which we're tracking in an app right? Because then you start to lose the purpose of that. When you focus on perfection, because I've hit my macros to a T and I'm winning. (laughs) Listen, all of those things are, it's not perfect because everything that we track is still an estimation. And that's where it drives me nuts. When people are like, I have to hit every macro to the gram or you're failing. Like I saw a coach post that. And I was like, what do you mean? Do you understand that these are all estimations? Like not every package we get is going through, um, chemical chemicals to be tested on exactly how many grams of fat carbs and protein are in there. Like that's, that's not happening. It's not that serious. It's, it's not, <laughs> but are you staying very consistent? And that means with everything that you're doing, weighing things, portioning them out appropriately, all that stuff, right? Are we consistently within a couple of grams of our targets? If that that's, that's an A plus for me, like we are executing to the best of your ability and that's fine. And so when it comes to 
setting yourself up to be successful coming out of a dieting phase. I love that you said alignment. That's one of my favorite words, right? Cause I'll hear people all the time. I want to do this. I want to be that, but you're not doing it. So I don't care what you say you want because your actions are not aligning with what you're, what you're, what you say you want. So you need to have that honest conversation with yourself about what do I really want? Like, what am I actually willing to sacrifice and what am I not? And how do I make that fit my goals? And then we can reverse engineer an actual path that you can be successful on because you comparing what you're doing to what your idol is doing and feeling like you're failing because you want to be as disciplined and committed to what works for them in your own life with your own situation in your own elements. Um, that's where you drive yourself fucking nuts. And that's where you drive your coach nuts because you're telling them, I want this. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I promise I'll do it. Well, you've said that 17 times and we're still not doing it. So like you need to be honest with me but you can't do that until you're honest with yourself. And so once you can realize in, in you, your self-awareness as to what you need and desire as a person, as an athlete, as you know the other things that you do in your life, then we can design your protocols to fit how we can successfully get you there and feel like we're winning all the time. Instead of feeling like you're failing, because it's not that you're failing, it's that the, the approach that you're trying to fit into isn't working. It doesn't work for you. Um, and that's where I think, you know, really paying attention to the client and meeting them where they're at and building out a map for them is incredibly important. That way, when you come out of a show, we've approached it in a way where you've learned what you need to learn. We've set it up to where you have the flexibility that you need. Now, contest prep's really not that flexible. So, you know, but we have an exit strategy that's like, okay, I know that you have kids and you've missed out on the froyo on every Friday with your family. We're going to work that in now, right? That's step one. We're pulling that trigger, right? And so then you start to incorporate the flexibility that they need. Whereas some people love to track 365 every single day, all their meals are portioned now, they're hitting it like that, they're doing their fast cardio every day with in-season and off-season. Some people really just do that, and that's what works for them. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but you can't compare what you need to somebody else and how they're operating because you want to look like them, because in all those things, again, like you're assuming they do that just because of this. You don't know what's going on on the backside of that Instagram picture. So there's just a lot um, to be considerate of, but if you want to be successful coming out of an extreme dieting phase or going into an extreme dieting phase, your self-awareness and, and who you are and why you're doing it in the first place has to be more than what other people think or because you want to look like this person. Yeah, God, I hate, I hate that whole, I want to be like so-and-so. It's like, you don't know what so-and-so went through to get where they are. You don't know what they're mindset is every time they make a decision that's helping them get where they are let's focus on being you and and focus on what does that look like for you I love how you are so tuned into what your client is needing and missing that you're ready and willing to have that exit strategy I think that's key and if you are listening to this and you don't have someone doing that for you or with you one advocate for yourself and and think okay what do I need in my exit strategy because a lot of times we have that mentality of like, I'm just going to do whatever my coach says to be the best and be successful. And then you're like, well, actually what my coach is telling me isn't exactly aligned with what I need or what I want. And you're realizing this and then you're maybe afraid to speak up or say something because you don't want to be judged. You don't want to seem like you don't care. You don't want to seem like, oh, I'm a week, a weaker than these other clients they have. No, you know, this is, it doesn't matter. Your coach is there to serve you. 
it is a service after all. Yes. So speak up, you know, let them know what you need. Like I have, I have clients of my own who are like, this is not working for me. We need to approach this in a different way. I don't like journaling. I'll be like, fine, send me voice memos, you know, send me a video. I don't really care how we do it. It's just that we're doing it in the way that's going to work for you so that we can actually have the result that we want. Plus, if you're trying to be like somebody else that you admire or you follow or you see, is that really sustainable for you if it's interrupting your life in such a big way? Probably not. So they might be in the game for 10, 15, 20 plus years, and you might make it for two because you tried to be a Miss Bikini Olympia before you tried to be an NPC competitor. You know, it's like, let's take the proper steps and have the proper expectations. Maybe proper sounds the right word, but fair. It'd be totally unfair to expect yourself to to be like Miss Bikini Olympia when you've never done a show. Like, you know, we need the expectations to be fair for us so we don't feel like constant failures. And that's what builds our efficacy. If we're proving to ourselves over and over again that we do the things we say we're going to do, even if for you that looks like just drinking your water that day, when someone else it might look like getting their fasted cardio, drinking their water, and, 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 hey, you just built up a a new confidence that's going to help you to achieve your next goal. That process has to be more important than who you aspire to be like. It it really is about who you're becoming through this process and and why you are doing it in the first place. Like it has to be important to you that it's for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's very, very important. And there was something that you said and I lost my train of thought because I was like, oh, yes. Um, but I think that um, one, number one is you can't compare where you are to where somebody else is. Number two, this is going to hurt a lot of feelings, but I feel like more people need to say this. The odds that you are going to be in Miss Bikini Olympia are minimal. And I hate to say that, but it's true. Um, the people that are on that Olympia stage, not only do they have incredible work, work ethic, they're also genetically elite. This sport is very genetics based, right? There's only so much genetic potential that we all have. Your muscle insertions are going to be different. Your shape is going to be different. Your waist is only going to get so small and no, you cannot reduce it by like just confining it to death. Um, you know, you can't do all of those different things. So your aspiring person has a 22 inch waist. Like I'll use myself an example. My as small as my waist gets is 23 and a half. And that was this last year. And genetically, it's not going any smaller, right? So for me to just walk in the door and be like, I'm going to be Miss Bikini Olympia. Maybe the sport will trend that way over time because it does change. Like I'm not saying it's uh, just off the table, but the odds that I'm going to be on the Olympia stage, probably minimal, right? I work my ass off. I love the sport and I'll continue to do it to the best of my ability. But I also understand that I only have so much potential that I can achieve. And that's why I don't, I don't sacrifice my entire life to step on a bodybuilding stage because outside of that, when you come out of this sport, because again, a lot of people do their relationships are a mess. Their life is a mess because they've only focused on IFBB pro IFBB pro Miss Bikini Olympia, you know, and, and they're willing to in the moment, because again, everything is amplified and I love the passion and I love the commitment and it's it's required to be successful, but at the same time, there has to be you addressing your life shit outside of your bodybuilding shit. 
Um, and while they can work in collaboration with one another, and there's going to be one that prioritizes at certain phases, that's why it's also really important to make it a part of your lifestyle. I like what I eat. Everyone's like, I thought you did flexible dieting, but you eat bro foods. I'm like, I like how that makes me feel. That is my flexible diet. I don't have to eat like an asshole um, just because I flexibly diet. Um, So there's a lot to be said in there, but I just, I think that that's really important for people to understand. And then if you want to be Miss Bikini Olympia, it's probably going to take you really reflecting on boundaries and what it is you are and aren't willing to do to get there. And if you don't understand yourself and the boundaries that you're willing to cross, don't get into the mindset of coach, I'll do whatever it takes because there are coaches that will give you things and tell you to do things that might be consequential long-term that you can't reverse. So I think it's also just important to make these decisions in a logical brain where you are in a part and a part and can have a conversation with somebody else that's also supporting you in a way um, to hold you accountable to what those boundaries are. Yes, exactly. And I really appreciate how you said, you know, the, the, this, idea of becoming Miss Bikini Olympia or whatever is slim pickings. And also it can change over time. So you have to do this for the love of the game, not for the title or the championship or whatever. And adjusting your expectations, I think is a a key step in that. Even if it dims your fire for a second, maybe that shows where your expectations or uh, motivations were more lying in, more so in the title than in the process. And there are things in this sport that you have, especially in the NPC and the IFBB, you have to accept. And yes, there are boundaries. And, you know, if you're using bodybuilding and then, and you're noticing these other areas of your life are taking a back seat, like you were saying, maybe relationships or um, work or whatever. Are we avoiding those things? Is bodybuilding serving us in a way that helps us to avoid what needs to have light shown on it? Because I'll have people tell me about all this crap they're going through. And it's funny because it's like, it's not funny in that sense, but it's interesting. I should say, it's sometimes funny to me because like, it's a trend makes sense. Yes, exactly. Um, but it's like, oh, all this shit hit the fan at once. No, this was a building. Every day that you chose not to look at what needed to be looked at, you were just tossing it to the wayside. You were choosing not to address it. Yes, you have to prioritize bodybuilding to be successful in a prep specifically, like especially in prep, there's not as much balance or flexibility. But if you can prioritize how you're feeling and your emotions and your mental state and and what's actually going on in your life, if your husband says, hey, I miss you, are you able to have that conversation? Because if you're not willing to have that conversation, or maybe you feel sad one day and you're like, I'm not going to address feeling sad. I'm going to go hit some cardio. Um, I'm just going to maybe do extra today instead of why am I sad? We're blocking ourselves off to learning opportunities that will ultimately help you be a better athlete for one, because you'll, you'll know yourself better. Yep. And we're creating this reinforcement that bodybuilding takes away from my life rather than bodybuilding serves me in my life. If you use bodybuilding, you know, to take away from, of course, it's going to feel like that. But if you reinforce that it can positively add to your life, then it'll be a more positive experience. And I think when you do it that way, you show up to the sport 10 times better. 
Because yes. I've done it the wrong way. I've done it where my first my first prep um, was a coping strategy. I was going through a very dark time in my life. And I was like, well, I, I already feel like shit. So I'm just going to make myself feel like more shit. Um, you know, that's really what it was, is it was like a numbing thing for me. And I did it the wrong way. I looked at the sport completely wrong. Um, and and it it was not what bodybuilding was about. It's not what it is about. Um, the sport is absolutely beautiful and the evolutionary process that you can go through, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally is so empowering. And that's why I do it because every time it's different for me. I learned something new about myself. I learned something new about my body. I learned something new about what I'm capable of. Um, and, and I think there's also this idea that more is better. Um, and there's different approaches for everyone. So comparing an apple to an orange is is setting you also up to, to struggle. People are like, I feel like I'm not suffering because I'm looking on Instagram and this competitor is suffering more. And I'm like, well, at the end of the day, we're choosing to starve ourselves. Okay. So nobody should be complaining about what you've signed up to do. Like, it doesn't mean you have to suffer because someone's on Instagram crying on their story because their cardio was hard. Like we all get to the point where and it's relative where we're hungry and cardio is high. Like, and that's going to look different person to person, but regardless, like that is what is required to get through it. And that's the mental fortitude and the standard of excellence that I love about the sport is it fucking sucks. Like there are points where it just fucking sucks, but coming out of it, you're like, damn, I did that. That feels good. That feels good. Exactly. And I did it for the right reasons this time. Yeah. Not, not to cope or, or not to hide from something else or to prove myself. Instead, it was just did that for me and I got through it and, and I didn't complain about it because I chose to do it. I can't, I get it. It's okay to complain. Sometimes I think it's important to then get that out. But if we complain to the point of which we're giving the sport a bad name, we're giving what we're doing a bad name, people will question, why are you doing this to yourself then? So if you do feel like it's so bad, then you probably need to evaluate why am I putting myself through this? If I think it's so terrible. Or what's the new perspective I need to bring to this work to change that? Um, but like you said earlier too, then the blame game comes up with competing. I blame competing for my problems, even though competing just fed my problems my first year. I was like, oh, wow, I'm afraid to eat anything. So if I do a bodybuilding show and push myself to the limits, now I can say it's because I'm on prep. That's why I can't eat this. I'm on prep. Or, oh, if I do a bodybuilding competition and then it'll prove that I'm worthy of having more clients as a personal trainer at the time that's not a great place to do this from. So then when the sport went and I put my all into it, didn't she did nothing. And I expected the best, right? I expected better. And I didn't get, I didn't get a trophy or whatever. And it's like, oh, this sport sucks. And I, and then I'm binging after the show and I have a horrible diet and relationship with food. And I, I can't even stand the sight of chicken or whatever. And I'm like, it's the sport's fault. They're promoting that you should look a certain way. They're promoting that you need to eat a certain way. No, it was my fault for perceiving it as such. It was my fault for making it about those things. I made it about my body shape. I made it about clean eating and not eating anything else and being a failure if I did. I made it about those things, not the sport, right? We can change the way we approach this sport as long as we're willing to also accept the implications of our process. So you might take 20 weeks and it might be less miserable than the person who does six weeks, but you'll still get there. And, and that's your process. And that doesn't mean you're worse or better or anything. It just means that that's what you had to do to get there in the way that was going to be best for you and keep your perception and perspective healthy. 
I think that's, that's one element in life right now in general with society, like accountability is like non-existent, um, you know, and there's a lot to be said about like for my first prep, it was absolutely awful. It was a very low calorie diet meal plan. I did not do my research. Um, and I just jumped in because they were like, this is going to fucking suck. And I was like, cool, I guess I'm doing it right. Like it fucking sucks. Um, yeah. you know, cause you have, you don't know what to expect the first time. And again, this was before all this information was out there. So I didn't know better, but I don't blame that coach. I don't blame that meal plan. I blame myself because I didn't take the time to actually do any research to go, Ooh, that doesn't look too great. Like maybe this isn't the right fit for me as a coach. And every coach is going to have a different method, a different approach, different strategy. And there's a million different ways to skin a cat. So it's really important that you align yourself with a coach whose protocols and methods that you trust, that you feel confident and comfortable with, and that work for you. So again, it goes back to make sure that you are aligning the desired outcome with the map that you're going to draw for yourself. Um, and one thing that I think I always encourage my clients to do number one, your first show you can pick, that's fine, but you need to be flexible in the diet, the, the timeline, right? And yeah. if you are tied to the timeline, I will always be honest about whether you're ready or not. And that depends on execution, adherence, consistency, all the variables that are important markers um, to get to the end goal, but losing yourself um, in the journey or just being tied to, I got to step on stage because everybody's going to, I told everybody on social media that I'm going to do it. Um, or you have a bad experience because you followed the protocols that you were given, but instead of taking accountability for the fact that you follow those protocols, because no one's holding a gun to your head to die like this. No one's holding a gun to your head to finish your cardio. No one is, no one's doing, no one's there. That's also why I love the sport because uh, you have to show up for you. No one's checking in on you. I played division one basketball in college. And if you're late to practice, you got your teammates texting you coaches looking for you, get your ass in here. We're going to have to run extras. You bitch. Like, you know, like you, you have other people looking after you making sure you do everything. Right. But now it comes down to your integrity. Like, did you check the boxes or did you not? And only, you know, unless you're hopefully very honest with your coach. Uh, but again, like it comes back to your, the way you come out of the sport might be reflective of how you went through it, but the way you went through it, you chose to do that. Ooh, yes. I love that honesty and integrity. That's key in prep. It's key in your post-show. It's key going into it. If you're going to hide things, from people because you're nervous of what they might think. For example, you go to a party and you don't want them to see you eating the food there that you actually really want after your show because you want them to believe that you're this fit, healthy person and you never eat those things and they're going to question you about it anyway, so might as well not. And then you go home and you binge, but then you don't want to tell anybody about it or you don't want to tell your coach, you don't want to report it, you don't want to address why did that happen. That is still on you. You still have to be honest with yourself right? And honesty is what's going to actually open you up to the lesson of what is actually the best way, because we fail, we fail, we do things wrong, even um, with good intentions, we make mistakes, we make wrong decisions, like, maybe you get a sponsor, you're like, oh, this is great. And then you're like, this is not great anymore. But at the time, you thought it was good or, or whatever. Doing things wrong helps you to see what needs to be done right, or what needs to be done differently. So when you struggle post-show or in your prep or in your deep in your improvement season and you're feeling things are are off let that be more of a guide if you're honest with yourself and you can learn the lesson from it let it be a guide then to what would be better for you what is actually necessary maybe you find it's pulling away from the sport for a bit or it's starting a prep with no goal show date or maybe it's a 
identifying that you only turn to preps when you're struggling with binging because you think it's your one means to control rather than addressing your relationship with food or, or your mentality or developing a lifestyle phase. Like when we actually sit down with ourselves and we're honest with ourselves, it reveals to us so much more than if we just keep going with the day-to-day norm, which just perpetuates the struggle. And then once you have that clarity, you can communicate that clarity. But if you never even have the clarity on what it is you actually really want versus what you keep telling yourself you want, then you're never going to have the actions or the alignment to be excited about achieving the end goal. Like that's where people just get so fucked up. And I'm like, it's okay to say, Hey, this is not working. What else can we do? Because I need this. And this is what I require in order for me to operate optimally, to be happy, to enjoy the process, to whatever it is that you're doing. And this is what I can and am capable of doing. This is what I'm not. Like I can't, you know, for me as a coach, right? There are boundaries. Like I said, I have boundaries on how much cardio I'll give a client, how low I'll take their calories. I don't care if you tell me to run you into the ground and make you eat dirt. I appreciate that you're willing to do that in this moment. For me and for my company, my integrity and the way that I feel comfortable pushing somebody, I'm not going to go there, right? Those are my boundaries. And I can communicate that with clients when they onboard with me, because some of them will ask questions. Like I've been on this very low calorie intake. How low do you go? Okay. These are my thresholds. And I'll always communicate with you honestly about where you're at and what we need to do in order to get you to where you want to be. And if you're flexible with deadlines, it takes a lot of pressure off. Um, So I think just people need to be a lot more self-aware of what makes them happy. What is it that you want to achieve and what are you willing to compromise in order to do that? Because that's how you build a quality relationship with the person that you're working with. But if you're constantly lying to yourself and lying to them, and then you're self-sabotaging because you feel like you're failing because you're not able to hit what you say you're going to hit because you're setting unrealistic expectations for yourself, you're doing a lot more psychological harm, I would argue, um, than actually manifesting the goals that you have. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, psychological, it's physical, it's emotional, it's going to impact every area of your life if you continue to do this to yourself and, and allow it to happen as well. Like we are allowing it, we're giving ourselves permission to make these negative choices or have these negative results. And sometimes I think it comes from a self-defeating mindset where it is like, I want to punish myself. I am a failure. So therefore I'm going to self-sabotage and having like really clear, clear pathways through self-sabotage can help with that. So if you are someone who in the past, let's say struggled post-show, and then you work with a new coach, you're working with your safe coach and have a plan for those potential self-sabotages. So if it is like, oh, every time after a show, my family likes to go on vacation. Okay, let's have a plan for that. And if you're one of those people who I always end up binging post-show, okay, here's what we need to do. So you're set up for success. We have to address what is the potential sabotage. And if that potential sabotage too is comparison or it's a timeline or it's thinking you have to do things in a certain way, or it's restricting your food intake only to this, even though your coach is telling you, you can have a flexible diet, but you're choosing because you're afraid of certain foods, you know, it goes on and on, but we have to identify these things to then, like you said, be able to pursue the process in the most fulfilling way. Yeah, this episode was absolutely amazing. And I already it was. Know, you're we gonna have go to come on. you're gonna have to come back because I already have another topic that we didn't even cover. Oh um, my god, yes, let's do yeah, it. <laughs> because I really want to talk to you about you know body image struggles post-show, um, which yeah. I feel men and women absolutely struggle with. So guys, that will be coming 
soon, hopefully uh, we'll yeah. reschedule to have that conversation. But Celeste, thank you so much for coming on. Please tell people where they can find you. Uh, and I look forward to having another conversation with you soon. Yes, me too. That was so awesome. Thank you guys for listening. You can find me on Instagram at celestial underscore fit. I also have tons of resources on my website. When I say resources, I mean freebies as well. So that's www.celestial.fit. And yeah, if you guys need anything, reach out and I can always send you various videos or content or things I have that might apply to your situation. Yeah. If she, you guys are struggling at all, or just want some support, even going into a show with an exit strategy, you feel you don't have reach out to Celeste, um, shoot her up on her website or her Instagram. She's got a lot of awesome information there as well. And I appreciate you guys listening and we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.